As you're having a seat, can we thank Teddy and, and this uh, incredible worship team and this band for leading? Man, so anointed. I just wanted to touch this shirt. When, when I first walked in, I was like, that is a big shirt. I was like, man, that is like, that is like a queen-size duvet that brother is wearing. And I, want, I really did. I was wondering, like, why, why does a man need to wear that much shirt? And then I saw him start getting going, and he started dancing, and I was like, no ordinary shirt can contain this man. And so can we just say, no ordinary shirt can contain this man. So anointed, brother. Is that song on the new album you gave me last night that just came out? I cannot wait to go home and sing that at my church, but we won't do it justice. Will you just pray? Somebody in that video said, uh, somebody said, hey, will you go to another city? And they said, no. And then they said, will you pray about it? And they said, okay. Will you pray about coming to Alabama to be our worship leader? Would you do that? And uh, Vance, I'm going to need your wife and your, your kids to come too, because apparently they're all singers. And so Vance can stay. Everybody else is coming. Is that all right? So good, y'all. How you doing? I know you're looking at me and you're like, he just said y'all. He looks like the cab driver on the strip. And he just said y'all. And I know Vance just said he's from Alabama. I am. I am. I know when he said I went from Iran to Alabama, you're like, wow, third world to third world. That's kind of weird. And, and I am. I, I'm, a, I'm a converted Muslim. I came to Christ. And uh, I, I uh, yeah, praise the Lord. Um, I'm not convinced, though. I will say this. I'm not convinced that... Uh, the Pittmans were convinced. Yesterday, I got in about, I got in about 1.30, and uh, the Alabama ball game was on. And I know Vance was a big Alabama fan. I'm a big Alabama fan. And, and so uh, I went over to their house to watch the second half of the game, and they were serving pork. And part of it was because we were playing the Hogs, but I th- I'm convinced part of it was like, let's make sure he's a converted Muslim. You know, let's make, just give him pork, and let's watch him. Let's see if he's going to eat pork. And as soon as I ate the first, they were like texting, it's okay, it's okay. I was kind of convinced they were checking me out, but happy 10th anniversary, by the way. Wow. How exciting is that? Double digits? Are you kidding me? I I was telling my wife that this morning. I said, man, they are 10 years old today. Our church is one year old. uh, I was going to say years. We were one year old uh, three weeks ago. And uh, I mean, just looking ahead at at really the track record and, and the legacy of this church that's already started. You know, that 10 years is a, is a long time to be a church. And, and I was telling my wife about it. I was like, I'm just so encouraged to be around another church planner who's been at it for 10 years. And it started in his living room. And today, I was like, I was telling her about last night's services and about you, because Vance has been telling me about you. So I was passing along the information to my wife. And she said, we should have gotten him like an anniversary gift. You know, she really did. She said, man, we should have gotten like a 10-year 10, 10 anniversary gift or something. And, and I said, all right. And, and my wife started looking it up on the internet while we were talking. And she got a little phone out and she was like looking it up. And she said, well, the 10-year anniversary symbol apparently is tin and aluminum. And I don't know if you knew that, but it's tin and aluminum because uh, they're durable. They're durable, you know, steels. They're durable, uh, you know, objects. But yet they are, even though they're durable, they're, they're bendable. They're flexible. And she was telling me that. I was like, babe, that is, that's the gift. You know, I'm sure they'd rather have some money, but this is what I've got right here. This is the gift. <laughs> just to bring that today and just to say, wow, how appropriately named, you know, that, that you would be a 10-year-old church that's like, that's like 10, that's like aluminum, you know, 10 campuses once you get into your new campus. This is your ninth campus as a church. That's flexible. That's bendable. But yet over 2,500 people in your city who've come to know the Lord that's dependable. 
That's the same message, but a different method. You know, the same mission, but willing to, to change and to be flexible to, to present that. And, and I was telling my wife about all that God has done through this church and all glory to God, amen, for, for what he's done. Can we just give God a hand again for 10 years of aluminum, <laughs> you know, rust proof aluminum. That's what you are. I just love that. Uh, she also told me that the flower was daffodil, but I'm not going to talk about that because I'm a man. I'm not going to talk about daffodils and what all that means. She said, baby, daffodils stand for joy. And I was like, that's great. You can share that with Vance's wife. All right, but I'm not bringing that up because I'm a man. I'm not going to be talking. And I'm not saying if you're a man and you're a florist. Well, yes, I am, but that's beside the point. But you know what I'm saying? Sorry. Anyway, all that to say, good to be with y'all. I'm just excited about getting to come and open up the Word of God together. If you have your Bibles, do get them out uh, this morning. And let's go to a passage in Scripture that's a promise from God, uh, a promise that's been true for 10 years in the mission that is called, you know, Hope Baptist Church and will continue to be true the next 10 and the next 10 and the next 10. This is a promise that's always been um, true about God and it's always been true from God. And, um, and I think it's a promise that has locked in it uh, what if you've been, if you're a visitor today, um, uh, you should go back and listen to the last two Sunday's messages. Uh, being in a different time zone, I did this morning. I woke up about 3.30 in the morning, at your time, uh, 5.30 my time, and uh, I started to just kind of, uh, you know, have a little time with the Lord and, and then just started to just wonderingly kind of in the, in the internet show up at the website of the church and just reading and studying and then ended up listening to the two great messages from the last two Sundays. And, uh, and the overarching challenge in these two last messages, just in case you weren't there and you're visiting for the first time, just to catch you up, was um, this challenge for us as the people of God to be involved in two I-N words. And in the mission uh, anniversary, to be involved in, in investing and to be involved in inviting. Many of you have been a, a, a result of that. Many of you this morning are here because someone cared enough about you to invest and to invite you to come here today to, to hear a message of hope. And, and as we look at that, what I was reminded of as you guys were sharing that, Vance, in, in the last two Sundays was how that's really God's idea all along. God's idea has always been about inviting. God's always, idea has always been about investing. I mean, whose idea was it to, to begin this thing 10 years ago? Who invited this church to come to Vegas? God did. Who invested in every single facet of this church? God did. And so the audacity of a man to stand in a pulpit and to say, I want you to invest like you've never invested before. And I want you to invite like you've never invited before comes from a man who sees God first and foremost do that in his own life. What gives us the guts today to say, man, we ought to be about inviting, we ought to be about investing, is the fact that God never asks us to be a part of something that he himself first didn't exemplify. And so I want us to look at this passage because in this passage, I'm telling you, we got some loaded in invest and invite going on. Let's look at it together in Isaiah 41.9. God says this. He says, I, the I in this, by the way, is God. You can circle that, put God on top of it. This is a God-sized promise. You know why, that, you know why that's important? Because all of us have been made promises before that didn't mount up to much. You ever been told uh, your, your job has security? Don't worry. Your job is immune to the economy. You're going to be just fine. And then your job went away. Your stocks are going to be okay. I've got your portfolio all taken care of. And then your stocks took the biggest plunge of all. Man, me and your dad are going to go through the divorce. But you know what? It's okay. I'm still going to be here for you. And now she's not here for you as a mother. 
Anybody ever been made a promise? And that promise came with even maybe good intentions, but the promise didn't ever come into fruition. It might even be by somebody you're sitting next to. Don't point at him. But you ever have been told a promise and it didn't come about? Here's what's great about God. God is the I in this promise. And so God is making the promise. And here's the beauty of it all. He's never made a promise he hasn't kept. He is the original promise keeper. And God is going to make this promise. So you can bank on this. This is a, a promise that's, this is a check God's about to write that's never going to bounce. And God says this. He says, I took you. The you is you. You can circle that and put your name on it. Whatever your name is, insert your name appropriately right here. God says, I took you from the ends of the earth. To me, that feels like Las Vegas. Maybe for you, that feels like Alabama. To all of us, that probably feels like Iran, where I'm originally from. Now, y'all know Iranians, right? We own all the 7-Elevens. We're the ones who go, you have to pay for this little pee. How about the government? That's us. That's our people. <laughs> By the way, that's not Iranian. That's Indian, but who cares, right? So... Accuracy can get in the way of a good joke sometimes, but whoever you are, wherever you're from, Iran, Indonesia, Taiwan, like our our friends that are being called to go, wherever you're from, God says this. He says, nowhere in this world is exempt from my reaching hand. God says this. He says, I took you from the ends of the earth and from its farthest corners, I called you. God is inviting. He's saying, I called you. I know the phone number of your heart and I'm dialing you up. I'm inviting you to something so much bigger than you. That God would call you and invite you to something. God, by the way, God would call you and invite you to something. God would invite you to something. Let me just say that again. That God would invite you to something. Can you imagine? I mean, Teddy, as a musician, can you imagine, I don't know, if Quincy Jones called you and invited you to something? You'd be like... I'm going to need a few weeks off. I'm going to need a bigger shirt. Because Quincy Jones just invited me to something. Think about it. Think about it. I mean, that you would get invited by not just a celebrity, but by the famous one to something. And God is in the business of calling you and calling me. He says, I called you from the ends of the earth, and I said, you're my servant. I love that because God puts great value in in the invitation. God values you and loves you enough to invite you. You're a big deal because God has invited you, but not so big that you're bigger than God. God says, I'm inviting you, but I want you to know that's not for you to get a big head. That's for you to get a big heart because I'm inviting you not because you deserve to be invited. I'm inviting you because you don't deserve to be invited. I'm inviting you because the last thing you deserve to be invited to is my banqueting table. You know, in this world, you get invited to stuff if you're good. I mean, all kidding aside, you deserve to be invited by somebody like that to be a part of music. I mean, I just watch you, bro. It's just flown out of your pores. I mean, you're not even trying. And I just watch you and I'm like, that guy deserves to be with the greatest musicians making music in the world. But the sad thing in that that illustration would be if Quincy Jones invited me. And you're laughing because you presume accurately. I can't dance. I can't sing. You know, I am just completely, I mean, if I, when I sing in the shower, it's a little taste of the wrath of God imputed in hell forever. You know, it's just horrible. And so, so to me, for me to be invited is like, wow, I would get, in this world, you get invited to something if you're great. 
You get invited to, to preach at the church if you really can produce. You get invited to be put in the game if you can really score a touchdown for the team. You get invited in this world to, to go play golf with the boss if he feels like you've got great potential and you can produce for the company. In this world, you're invited in the neighborhood to the, to the ladies' luncheon if you're cool and you're hip and you got something to bring to the table. In this world, it's all about you get invited if you're great in the economy of God. God does the inviting because he's great. Think about it. And so today, if you're going, well, a lot of people around here probably got invited to this stuff called God's stuff, this thing called the gospel, this thing called church. But I mean, I just visited here. All these people right here, I'm sure they've earned an invitation from God because they seem like good church people that are dancing and singing. I don't know these words. I'm just standing here. You don't know what I did last night. You don't know what I did last week. You don't know the thoughts that I've had. That's okay. God's not inviting you because you're awesome. God's inviting you because he's awesome. He, that's the invitation. Can I just tell you that? That's the invitation. That's the invitation. And God says, I took you from the ends of the earth. I called you and I said, you're my servant. And I have chosen you. I've chosen to invite you. And I'm not cast you off. Then he says this. This is a command, by the way, from our Lord. He says, fear not. Fear not. Why? Because I am with you. I'm with you. That is so good. God says, I don't want you to be afraid. Anybody here hear God's command today, fear not, and just need that little comma that comes right after it? See that little comma that comes right after it? I think that's a little predestined comma by God, maybe just for me. I think God maybe put that little comma there just so I could circle it and put my name on it. Anybody else need to put their name on the top of a comma where God says, fear not, and you're like, are you kidding me? God, do you know what the doctor just said about the cancer that's back? God, do you know about my prodigal child that hasn't been home and hasn't called in several days, and every night I go to bed, I wonder if I'm going to get that phone call that's going to have the worst news of all, the news that every mother dreads. God, do you know what's going on in my marriage? God, do you know how pornography has attacked my husband's reputation? God, do you know how I'm about to lose my job, and I don't even know how to provide for my family? God, do you know what's going on? And God's going, yeah, fear not. Fear not. Why? Anybody else need that little comma to put your name on top of? Because you're like, are you kidding me? And God says, on the other side is why not? Because I am with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. What a great invite to be with God. And then right after the invite is the invest. He says, I'm with you. So don't be dismayed because I'm your God. And then here's the invest. Here's where God invests. He says, and I will Not I might, but I will strengthen you. Anybody here today say, in the bank account of strength in my life, there's a lot of uh, emptiness going on. And I need a massive deposit. I need a massive investment of strength. Anybody look at your life today and say, I need God's strength because I don't have it on my own. Anybody need that investment? But God just said this. He said, I will strengthen you. I will click and drag my strength into your bankrupt account. You just went from nothing to the riches of God imputed on you. Talk about investment. By the way, God doesn't invest in us because we're good stock. God invests in us and we are some horrible stock. 
If you think, no, I'm good stock, are you really that arrogant? You think that highly? Of course he would invest in me. Look at me. Yeah, I'm looking at you. And I'm limited in what I can see. But God just doesn't see every shortcoming. God just doesn't see every slip up. God just doesn't see what's beneath the makeup. God just doesn't see all the mess ups you've ever had that I don't get to see. God sees every mess up you're ever going to have. You don't even see that. God knows what a failure you are that's bigger than the failure you think you are. (laughs) Think about it. You don't know your failures for like four years from now, do you? Some of y'all are like, yes, I do. Right now, I'm planning on more failures. All right? You don't know your failures, though, from nine years from now. God does. God knows every single moment of shortcoming, every sin, every lie, every jealousy moment, everything. He knows everything from the past, but he knows everything in the future. God knows where the stock's going to go, yet he says, I'm buying in. I'm investing. I'm investing. And I will strengthen you. And I will help you. Anybody here today just needs some help? Anybody here? Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, sister, for just your honesty. Everybody else like. (laughs) Anybody here today needs some help up in here? I need some help. I don't know about y'all. I don't know about y'all, but I need some help. I need help at every avenue of my life. I don't just need help right here. I need help in my marriage. Y'all help me love my wife. It's hard sometimes. It's usually easy, but there are moments when it's hard. Husbands, don't. Don't, husbands. Don't. I'm sorry. Don't. My wife's not here. That's why I can. But I need help. She needs help in loving me. I know you're looking at me and you're like, this supermodel? Don't clap for that. But I'm serious. Seriously. I need help. I need help in my marriage, not just sometimes. I need help every day in my marriage. I need help to raise my kids. I need help in my finances. I need help with my thought life. I need help with my sermons, every single one of them, every single second. I need help. I need help in every, I need help in my friendships. I need some serious, serious help. Anybody here honest enough to say I need help? Can I just tell you if you're visiting? This is not the kind of church where a bunch of perfect people gather together. These are honest people that say, I need help. By the way, everybody needs help. Hope Baptist just happens to be the kind of church where they're honest about it. We need some help. And so if you're here today and you're like, I'm helpless, so is everybody around you. Unless you got God. Unless you got God. I love the rest of it. He says this. So do not be dismayed because I am your God. I will strengthen you and I'll help you. And I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Think about that, beloved. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Anybody look in the spiritual mirror and go, I deserve the wrathful left. But he's going to give me the righteous right. He's going to give me the righteous right. Rather than investing his wrath He's going to pour out his grace. I look at my life, and my whole life has been nothing but God, despite me investing in me. Every every ounce of my life has been that. Every ounce of my life has been God on mission in my life. Every ounce of it. When I was nine years old, like Van said, uh, I lived in Iran, and the Iranian revolution happened. 
We saw 136th of my nation massacred and killed when I was nine years old. 136th. In a row of about 12 people, all right? Uh, I think there's about 12 in a row. And if they're full in your row, all right, take three rows and kill one person. Take three rows and kill one person. 136th of my nation was massacred and killed. I remember those days. I remember going to school. I was nine years old when the Iranian revolution happened, when the Ayatollah Khomeini and his you know, religious zealots took over our nation. And my dad was high-ranked in the military. And I remember going to my little military school in Iran. And as we went to school, the second day or the third day into the revolution, I, a soldier came in front of our entire school, called out a school assembly, read my name in front of the school, and told me to come and stand in front of the entire student body. I stood up, made my way to the front. The soldier took a gun and with his hand shaking, pointed it at me and started quoting from the Quran. And he told me he was about to kill me. And I thought he was kidding. I thought the soldier was just kidding, but he wasn't. The school principal got between me and the gun and said, please don't do this. Come back another time. And, and I remember that. I remember going home and just telling my dad, dad, why, asking my, why did this soldier want me dead? God says, do not fear. I look back at my life and I remember moments of fear. My earliest childhood memories were moments of fear like that. But I also look back now in hindsight and see the righteous right hand of God. Because that day that God didn't kill me. And my dad, who is a macho man, I've seen him cry two times my whole life. Well, I'll take that back. Three times. My mom just passed away and I've seen him cry. Like I've never seen him cry in that third time at her funeral. But I've seen my dad cry. He's a macho man. And I I can tell you, the first time was that day. He sat down. He started crying. He put me on his lap. And he said, son, they're not going to get you. When they come back for you, Tomorrow and a couple of weeks or whatever, they're not going to be able to find you because we're escaping. And I remember as a, as a family, we packed up everything and we pretended like we were uh, going to, to Switzerland for this supposed operation that my mom needed that she didn't really need. We paid the doctors to be in on the plan and we escaped from Iran. I'll never forget going to the airport. All we had was some jewelry that we had stuffed in my baby brother's little baby carriage. And as they were going to the airport, my, my dad was holding my hand and his hand was just shaking. And he kept saying, this was dumb to put jewelry in this. Because if they're going to find this jewelry, uh, they're, they're going to find out we're escaping. And they're going to kill us. But I look back and even then, we deserved his wrathful left. But he gave us his righteous right. And he carried us. He took us out of Iran and we flew immediately to Switzerland. And when we got to Switzerland, the ambulance came beside the airplane to put my mom on it for the supposed operation. But my mom sat up and said, we don't need to go to the hospital. We want to go to the American embassy because we need political asylum. We want to be refugees. And that's what they did. They took us to the American asylum and I mean, American embassy and we pleaded our case. And, and we were stuck at that time for, for the next nine months in Europe trying to make our way to the United States. Nobody was allowing Iranians into the United States at that time because the hostages were being held, 54 of them, from the American embassy uh, in Iran. And the revolution was going on. And everybody was watching on TV how the Iranians were burning the American flag and calling America the great Satan. And so, honestly, we were from the wrong place at the wrong time. But I look back on those days, and even then, I see God's righteous right hand just holding my family together. Those are moments of fear every single day. Fear of how we're going to provide, fear of how we're going to live, fear of where we're going to go. So much uncertainty. But I looked then and he held us together. He didn't hold us together because we were awesome. He held us together because we weren't. We needed somebody good. After nine months of trying every way we could, legally, illegally, every way, doors would never open up. One, mo- one morning, my mom finally got us together. And I'll never forget that day. Uh, she said, uh, we are wanting to go to America and I have an idea. She said, maybe we ought to pray, since we want to go to America, to America's God. 
His name, oh yeah, I know. That's, I don't know why you're clapping. Because Jesus ain't American. He's actually from my neck of the woods, if you want to put a geography lesson on it. But, and, uh, but I also know why you're clapping, because that's how I was. And I was like, who is America's God? My mom was like, you know, uh, Jesus. And she showed us a picture of a white man with a mullet. And she was like, this is Jesus. He's America's God. And I'll never forget, we were like, we prayed, and my mom said something like, Jesus, let us into your country. Or I don't know what she said. But I can tell you this, we tried everything, and the doors wouldn't open up. And then we mentioned the name of Jesus in a prayer. And a week later, we were flying to America. And I remember thinking this, I hate religion, because when I was nine years old, a few months back, I saw religion destroy my country. But I thought, there's something about this Jesus that I like, because he's letting me into his country. And we moved to Texas, y'all. Yeah. Texas, where they are so proud to be American, even though like 80% of them are Mexican. I'm just so, I'm just telling you, it's so weird. And they're just like, woo! And we moved to Colleen, Texas, a military town, where everybody's watching the whole thing go down on TV, and we are like at the receiving end of all their anger. And I go to a little military school. I mean, it was, a, it was a school with mostly military brats in it. And I walk in. And as soon as I walk in, I'm telling you, as a kid who, did, who came from the wrong place at the wrong time, I was a wedgie waiting to happen, you know? <laughs> I mean, I walk in, and it was every day, eat lunch alone, hear all the nicknames, all the 7-Eleven jokes and the turban jokes and the what's the dot on the forehead cable hookup jokes. And I got called bean dip, and I'm not even Mexican. I'd be like, you don't even know how to hate properly. And we just gave halfway... <laughs> Across the world, <laughs> inaccurate racists are just funny. Anyway, so we just get halfway across the world to really, honestly, to be really frank, to unplug from one kind of terrorism and to plug into a whole other kind. And I don't know if you've, you've ever been in a place where, I don't know if you've ever, I was, he, I was there when I was 10. I remember being 10 and and going into the little shed by the apartment complex that we lived in and closing the door and looking for something in the shed that was sharp enough to to cut my wrist. I don't know if you've ever been there where you don't want to live, you don't want to breathe. Where you're afraid of what tomorrow will bring. I don't know if you've ever been there. And I'm so glad that at that moment God invested in me because I didn't have anything on my own. That even before I knew him, he knew me. That he was investing into me. By the grace of God, man, that day, I, I didn't take my life, and I'll never forget, you know, I just continued to go through just years and years of just being the loner, you know? And uh, one day, it was the beginning of my freshman year in high school. I'll never forget. I was sitting in my room, and I was crying. My dad heard me. He came in. I told him, I said, Dad, I don't want to go to school. Everybody hates me. I don't, I don't you know, really like America. I said, I wish we could just go back to Iran. And my dad felt sorry for me. So out of pity, uh, instead of taking me back to Iran, which was not an option, he took me to the mall. (laughs) And he gave me this extreme makeover. I mean, my dad that day bought me new clothes, new haircut, new shoes, new everything. And he took me to the school the next day and dropped me off. And and overnight, I went from like geek to chic. I mean, I went to school... (laughs) I tell people, I went from Abdul to Julio. You know what I mean? I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't wearing like a duvet cover or nothing. I wasn't that cool. But you know what I'm saying? I was, I was inching forward. And, um, 
And I remember, I remember instantly I learned, instantly I learned what, what many of you know. Instantly I learned that people care a lot of times about who you are and how you dress, how much money you look like you got, a whole lot more than who you really are on the inside. And so I thought, that's good to me. And my high school years became those years. My high school years from that moment on became those years where I, I decided from sixth grade all the way to senior high, I decided I'm going to have the right clothes. I'm going to have the right car. I'm going to end up at the right lunchroom table. I'm going to dump the right girl before she can dump me. I'm going to be cold so I can be perceived as cool. And it's so true where it says in Scripture, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world but to forfeit his soul? Because I was bankrupt. I had had all the wrong things invest into me. And everything that was wrong that invited me, I'd said yes to I graduated from high school, voted one of the most popular in my school, you know, in the yearbook and all that. But uh, I remember I graduated uh, thinking, at least when I was a nobody, I was David Nasser the nobody. And all I'd become was just a sellout. And I graduated with a 1.9 GPA. 1.9 GPA in Alabama. You can't even go to Auburn with that. That's about as bad as it gets, you know. So I had this just reality. Of, of bankruptcy and I graduated now I'll never forget can I just tell you this I'll never forget when I graduated and I was getting my cap and gown barely thinking um, I'm more depressed than I've ever been I'm more helpless than I've ever been as soon as I graduated from high school my God left me because you know who your God is right your God is who you worship your God is whose mission you follow your God is who you bow down to. Your God is who you tithe your life and then, then some to every single day of your life. Your God is who you shed your greatest tears for. Your God is your greatest passion. Your God is what you sit up on a throne and say, I am your servant. And my God was the crowd. So as soon as I graduated and they left, I hit depression. Well, a few weeks later after high school was over, one night I'm in the car with the only buddy I had left from high school. And uh, he's... Uh, sitting in the car with me. We're sitting there in front of my house. It was almost midnight. I had to be in at midnight. And we're rolling up one last joint together. And while we're rolling it up, I'm trying to finish it up, and I'm getting gum ready to cover up, you know, the, the smell of the weed before I go in my house. My buddy looks at me, and, and uh, we had this moment, like, between two songs, you know, where I said, uh, I said, man, um, I'm kind of depressed, man. We've graduated from high school. Everybody's gone. What are we going to do? And, and my buddy looks at me, and he goes, well, I've got an idea. He goes, I've been thinking about inviting you to come to church with me. This guy's inviting me to church while he's literally handing me a joint. And I know, I know in the book of Genesis, it says God made the grass and it was good, but that's not what it means, right? So I'm like, you go to church? And my buddy's like, I love church. I'm like, I'm not going to church. And he goes, why? And I told him, I said, I hate religion. I said, man, when I was a kid, I saw religion kill all these people in my country. I want to have nothing to do with religion. And my buddy said, Oh, man, this is different. My church is different. And then he named the five prettiest girls from my high school. And he goes, bro, they all go to my church. And I was like, motivated. I wanted to visit. You know, I just thought, let's go. And I, uh, I'll never forget. I'll never forget. Uh, I told him, I said, my, there's no way my dad will let me go. I said, man, you've convinced me, but my dad will never let me go to church. He said, go ask him. I said, I'm not going to ask him. He said, go ask him. I said, I'm not going to ask him. He said, if you don't go in there, ask him. He said, I'm going to walk in and tell your daddy you were smoking weed tonight. And I felt motivated to ask him. 
So on a Saturday night, I went in and my buddy followed me and stood at the doorway of the house to look down the hallway to make sure that I was asking my dad. And I knocked on their bedroom door and I said, mom and dad, I'm sorry to wake you up. I know you're going to say no. Just say no loud enough so that my friend can hear so he'll leave me alone. He wants to know if I can go with him tomorrow to a Christian church. But instead of saying no, my dad yells through the door, what church? And the reason was there were these people from this church. Shades Mountain Baptist Church in Birmingham who were coming two weeks before I got invited to church by a buddy of mine. They were coming to my dad's restaurant and they were sitting there and they were eating and we're talking about the worship pastor and we're talking about the pastor and these different people who had been sitting there eating and they'd seen how on that one day he was shorthanded on wait staff and instead of complaining about the service, these men got up and rolled up their sleeves and waited on tables at my dad's restaurant. They invested into my dad. And then they went back the next week and did it again, and then they came back the next day and did it again, and then they called the choir and said the choir should volunteer. <laughs> and so my dad had been invested in for two weeks, so instead of saying no, he goes, what church? My friend hears it, and he yells out loud, Shades Mountain Baptist, the same church. Not coincidence, but God at work, right? And my dad goes, I know those people. You can go there, but only there. So Sunday morning, I mean, I was invited, you know? Sunday morning, I get up, put on my chinos, go to this church. I walk in a gym, and everybody I partied with was there. And I thought, this is great. And the youth pastor said, everybody, we're running late. Have a seat, have a seat. And so he goes, and I sit by myself in the front row, and as soon as I sat down, I looked up, and I saw this guy. His name was Larry No. Let me tell you about Larry No. Larry No was half Korean half English. He was a kid who had witnessed me about a year before that Sunday morning. About a year before that Sunday morning, he'd come up to me at a party and he had invited me to the gospel. He had told me that Jesus Christ, the son of God, loved me. He loved me so much that even though he lived this perfect life as God, as the son of God, even though he lived this perfect, holy, righteous life, sinless life, he died on a cross to pay the penalties for my imperfections, for my sin, for my shortcomings. And that through his resurrection, after they, he died on a cross, they put him in a tomb. And, and then when they ran the check on the tomb, the tomb was empty because he conquered the grave. Through his resurrection, I too could have eternal life. And he'd share that with me. And I'd laughed at him. I'd made fun of him. And a year later, I'm sitting at his church and he's beelining right towards me. And I'll never forget, he stood over me and he goes, I remember you. That's exactly what I was afraid of. He goes, uh, he goes I can't believe you're here. He goes, this is an answer to prayer. He didn't tell me the details, but I found out later what he meant. I found out later that he had bought a yearbook from my school, even though he didn't go to it. And he had circled 10 people with a Sharpie that he'd been praying for by name. People that he said they were inviting people away from God. People that he said were incredibly influential enemies of God that he was praying would switch teams. And he just sat beside me and he said, man, I'm glad you're here. When the Sunday school lesson was over, he stood up and he looked at me and he said, you got to come back tonight. I had nothing to do, but I was full of pride. You know what's going to keep some of you tonight, this morning, from giving your life to Jesus, from saying yes to God's invitation to the gospel? You know what's going to keep some of you? Your pride. I was full of pride. He goes, man, you got to come back tonight to our church. He goes, we're going to have this guy. He's going to share the gospel with everybody. It's going to be, you got to hear it. And I was like, man, I got stuff to do. You know what he said? He said, okay, if you won't come to our church, he goes, we'll come to your house. And they had this thing called visitation. Lost people call it harassment. (laughs) 
and 17 of them showed up at my house on a Monday night. And they were like, can we come in just for a few minutes? And they lied, because three hours later, they were still at my house. And they shared the gospel with me. And then the next Monday, they came back. And then the next Monday, they came back. And then the next Monday, they came back. I mean, we were the Iranians, but we were getting terrorized by a bunch of Southern Baptists. And every time they'd come over, they'd open up the Bible, and they would invite me to say yes to the greatest news of all time. And every time their church doors opened, I was back at their church. You know why? Because love is a magnet. And one night I was sitting there and the preacher was preaching. He wasn't cool like Vans. He was an old guy with a comb over and just flapping the air, you know. <laughs> he was preaching. He was like, come on now. We're going to condemn you and the kids. You're going to frown there like a piece of sausage. One of those, one of those guys. <laughs> and he gives this invitation. Literally, he gives this invite. He gives this invitation, and during the invitation, he's like, if you need to give your life to Jesus, you come on. And people are coming down. They're like, I don't want to die, whatever, you know. And, and I thought, now some guy's trying to scare me down an aisle. Because I didn't realize, even though his, well, he wasn't the coolest guy, he just was loving me enough to tell me the truth. But during the invitation, everybody else went forward and all this different stuff. But during the invitation, I hit the aisle, and I went the other way, and I thought, I'm getting away. But I, I realized something. God's invitations aren't contained to Sunday mornings in particular buildings. Here's the problem with God. He's everywhere. It's like the psalmist says, where can I go from your presence, O Lord? And I remember I went home and I thought, I'm never coming back to one of these things again. And as soon as I got home, God was like, you ain't going nowhere. And two hours later in my bedroom, I finally said yes to that invitation. I finally let them invest in me the greatest thing anybody could have invested in them, which is the gospel. I knew all the fancy words, sanctification, redemption, anything that ended with a T-I-O-N, because all these Christians had taught them to me. I didn't use any of them. I was just like, I'm yours. I'm yours. My dad will tell you about it. He'll say, I will never forget that night. We were out of town and we came home. And we could hear David crying in his bedroom. We walked in and his face was on the carpet. His hands were spread out to the floor and he kept yelling, I love him. And I thought, oh no. And I was like, no dad, I love Jesus. And my dad was like, both of them were bad for me. That's what my dad would tell you. And I started telling my dad all the stuff about how Jesus had come and invited himself to come into my life and all this stuff. And you know what my dad said? Out of nowhere, he goes, you cannot be a Christian. We're Muslims. I was like, we are? We were never devout until the night I became a Christian. <laughs> it was pride. And the night I got kicked out of the house was the night that I went to get baptized at that church a few weeks later. And I'll never forget, I got baptized, I came home. My dad had packed the bag and he said, you're no longer my son, I'll disown you. You're dead to me. And I moved out of the house, moved in with six guys that lived in a one bedroom apartment. <laughs> And five months after I was a Christian, I got a phone call one night from my sister, and she had said yes to God's invitation to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. She was a very religious person. I wasn't, but she was. But she went from religion to relationship with the Son of God. Five months after that, my mom, my mom, the night I was going to get baptized, she was dragging my leg going, don't do this, please don't do this. My mom calls me. She goes, tonight I became a Christian. I'm saying it loud because your father is hearing me. I do not care. That's how she rolled. <laughs> And my mom gave her life to Christ. And then my mom, she starts putting Bible verses in his food, in his Rogaine, everywhere, right? 
And then my brother Benjamin, five months later, came to Christ. And two years later, two and a half years later, my dad was more and more angry because of his pride. But nearly three years later, my dad said no to religion and yes to a relationship with Christ. And I'm telling you that to say... I'm telling you that to say, this is more than just telling a story and reading a little Bible verse. This is real. This is real. And so this whole idea of invest and invite is God's idea because he invested and he invited. And I'm inviting you today on his behalf to come to him. Can we pray together? Just wherever you are. Can we just pray together? Listen to me. Just with your heads bowed, listen to me. With your eyes closed, listen to me, church. I'm not asking you, have you ever walked an aisle? Have you ever prayed a prayer? I'm not asking you even honestly, do you have some kind of a relationship with God? I'm asking you, what kind of relationship is it? Is he your God? Is he your God? In moments like this, when you bow your heads to pray, do you pray more to a black void or a Christ that you know intimately as Savior? See, I think that this morning, there are a lot of good people here today. And can I just say this to you? I was not a good person when I came to Christ. When I, when I accepted his invitation, I went from serious unrighteousness to Christ's righteousness. I was a bad person who came to Christ. But my sister was the opposite. My sister was good. But Christianity is not about bad people becoming good. It's about dead people becoming alive. And the invitation is not to come and clean up your act. The investment that God wants to pour in you is not good behavior modification. He wants to pour into you the grace, the undeserving love and mercy that only he can pour in. People say to me all the time, they go, David, where is the toughest as a guy who travels a lot to give uh, invitations? And I always say, honestly, um, it's toughest in the South. Everybody goes to church. Everybody's on roll somewhere. And it's the most refreshing in places that are out of the Bible belt because people tend to be just more honest, more transparent, more willing to just wear it on their sleeve and say, I don't have it together, but I want to know a God who does. I don't have the strength, but I know that his strength is perfect. I deserve his wrathful left, but I say yes to the invitation to receive his grace and to get his righteous right hand in my life. That's you today. This morning, you look at your life and you're saying, David, when I close my eyes to pray, I pray more to a black void than a Christ that I know intimately. And the fear and the pride of religion or what others are going to think of me or, or looking like I'm weak has got to be set aside. Today, i got to say, I need you. Help me. Help me. Help me. Help me by first taking over me. Help me by first taking the keys of my life. Help me by, by me coming to you and saying, I trust you. See, this isn't about becoming religious. Can I just tell you this? Nothing about this church is about religion. This church hates religion probably almost as much as I hate religion. I saw religion destroy my country. The last thing I want you to do today to become is religious. Satan always lies to people who've never said yes to the invitation of the gospel and says, do you really want to be religious? And it's not about religion. It's about a relationship with the Son of God. 
Do you have that? If you're here today and you're saying, man, I need to say, Jesus, step out of heaven, step into my life. I say yes to the invitation of giving you me, all of me brought over to you. You've invested on the cross, the greatest gift of all. And so I come and invest what what I am back to you. It's a horrible trade, but it's your plan. I trust you. Anybody here today? Jesus, step out of heaven, step into my life. I say yes to your invitation. If that's you, just ask you to lift your hand right now, all over this place. Just lift your hand. Some of y'all are looking around going, man, if somebody around me will lift their hand, I'll lift my, quit asking them into your heart. Some of you are going, man, he's just trying to walk me down some aisle. Can I just tell you this? I'm just loving you enough to tell you the truth. There are people right now thinking, man, I just wish that God would speak to my friend. Maybe God today brought you here to be his friend. Could it be that today God has destined this moment? He has ordained this moment as your homecoming. Anybody else? Just lift your hand. Wave it at me and put it back down. Jesus, I say yes. I say yes. Step out of heaven. Step into my life. Save me from what? From religion gone wrong? Save me from all my pasts? I hear the invite. I I, I sense that you're knocking at the door of my heart. And I say, yes, Lord. Come in. Anybody else? Just lift your hand. Wave it at me and put it back down. Okay. How good do I have to be? It's not about how bad you've been. It's not about how good you've been. It's all about who Jesus is. Anybody else? The softest pillow you could lay your head on today would be knowing it is well with your soul. Aren't you just tired of the games? Some of you have bet on all the wrong things and has left you empty. Can I just tell you, all the money in the world will never give you hope. All the popularity in the world will never give you hope. I know a lot of people say that and you go, how do they know? Man, I grew up a millionaire's kid. I grew up popular. Can I just tell you this? It'll leave you wanting. Only Christ can satisfy. Why would you settle for anything else when the God of this universe is inviting you today to a personal relationship with him? Anybody else? Just lift your hand. Wave it at me and put it back down. Anybody else? Young, old, rich, poor, religious, not religious. Good, bad. It doesn't matter. We come on even ground, undeserving. Anybody else? One last time. Just man, that super glue of fear and pride can't keep me today from just being honest to say, Dave, uh, me, that's me. Just lift your hand. Wave it at me and put it back down. Okay. All right. If you lifted your hand today about giving your life to Jesus, saying yes to the invitation of the gospel, I just want you to pray this with me. King Jesus, you're the son of God. King Jesus, you lived the perfect life. Because only God could do that, and you did. And then you died a sinner's death. It's not fair, because you never sinned, but yet you paid the penalty for my sin. You took my place on that cross. I deserve God's wrathful left, but Jesus, you took it on. You stood in the way. 
And so because you died for me, I say yes to the invitation to live for you. Come into my life. Not just my heart, the heart's the open front door, but come into my life, all of me. I don't want just religion. I don't want you to be a behavior police. I want to have a relationship with you. A real relationship with you.